Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Welcome back for another episode of Abide in Liberty. This uh, this time around, we've got a little bit of a special treat. Normally, you guys have to listen to me drone on over and over again, but um, my mom, Stephanie Dale, who is the founder of Liberty Youth Academy, um, came to visit, and I've been wanting to do this for a while, and um, it was her last night before she was taking off, and I kind of strong-armed her into coming in and and doing this interview. Yes, you did. Um, So, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, So, the thing that I really wanted to focus on for this interview, you kind of, a couple weeks ago, I talked about um, how evil is on the rise, how Satan doesn't take breaks. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't kick back for three hours a night, sitting in front of Netflix, binging Breaking Bad or whatever show Satan would watch. If you like Breaking Bad, (laughs) it's a bad show, guys. Come on. Um, It's in the name. (laughs) Um, But... Um, I probably offended some people. I was going to say, you, you've got some enemies now. <laughs> some in your own family, uh, I believe. Yeah, probably. Um, but he's not doing that. And so we have got to be equally anxiously engaged. We've got to find out what God wants us to do. And you've kind of, uh, especially going into adulthood, as I've been trying to figure out what God wants me to do, you've been a huge example of that. And a lot of it comes back to the school, which we are now both a part of. And I don't think any of us saw coming 10 years ago, Um, certainly not 15 years ago when you started this journey. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife and I, Bonnie, were starting school at BYU um, right when you kind of started the school. And we got to watch from afar. And, you know, when you were stressed, you'd talk and kind of (laughs) offload to me. And I'd hang up and be like, man, I'm so glad. I'm not not doing that job. Yeah, give her a little pat on the back and you'll be fine and God will Mm -hmm. help you. And then go off to building our normal life of going Mm -hmm. to school and getting a job and building a 401k and all those normal things. Um, So I wanted to give everyone a chance to kind of hear your story um, as it relates to starting the school, but in particular, what that process was like figuring out what God wanted you to do and how challenging that was, how rewarding it's been, how rocky the start was, like all of that just kind of on the table. So okay. I'm going to let you start. I kind of kicked it off. You got involved in this about the time we were getting married and moving off. So what was that? What was that like? So I I was recently divorced working at another faith-based private school and I loved it. Um, it it was, a teacher I was there, a right? teacher and it was going great. And it was an opportunity for me to have my kids at school because I'd been previously homeschooling. I had I had volunteered in the schools enough with you guys and saw the political climate and some things coming that I I just wasn't comfortable with. And it was actually when you were in sixth grade, I don't know if you, if I've told you this, but when you were in sixth grade and we went um, to, I went to enroll you in middle school in Kansas and um, we went to the office, I enrolled you, we're walking down the halls, and I just, the longer we were in those halls and I was walking, the more uncomfortable I felt about being there and about you being there in school. And I was really confused about, about all of that and what that meant. And that experience 
led me to homeschooling and felt like that's what I needed to do. And um, nothing that I had ever can really considered before. Um, and had the family that we went to church with, the Bliss family, who you're married to their daughter. <laughs> um, you know, her mom kind of mentored me and dad both mentored me on that path. But that, so, so I had really been homeschooling for a while and almost 12 years, I think, and seeing the beauty and the benefits of that and just pulling my kids in and having a more faith-based education and what that was doing for you. And it, it was something that then I was recently divorced and needing to get a job. And so I went to school at that faith-based school. And then that, it was right before the crash. And there were eight couples that were all involved in putting money into that every month to keep it going. They came to us and said, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep this going through the crash. And um, I was concerned about what I would do to support my family. And I just really did not want, I still had, you know, kids at home. I did not want to put them back in the public school system. But prior to all of that happening, I had been visiting you guys when you were in school. We were heading, it was time for me to head home. I was starting to get like a stomach bug. And um, so I asked you for a priesthood blessing to just get back on the road and get home okay. And in our faith, that's something that we believe in and that you had given me blessings before. But so I was expecting a blessing to get better and and that happened. But the bulk of that blessing was about that there was a time that would come in this school that I was working at where I would have the opportunity to have more responsibility. And when that time came, I needed to stand and accept that responsibility. And so a couple months fast forward in a board meeting and they're letting us know we have to close. We don't have the funds. The crash is coming. A lot of those couples were heavily invested in, in um, real estate. And so they were pulling out of any extra, you know, they didn't have money for any extra things at that time. So I, but that, in that board meeting, I didn't have the thought, oh, this is like that blessing that Brayden told me that I would have an opportunity. That didn't happen. I just all of a sudden stood and said, yeah, I can I can keep the school going. And then realized I had said that out loud to other people and they're looking at me. And I'm, you know, a single mom with six kids at home and $345 to my name in my bank account. Like that was it. There was no savings. There was no 401k. There was no um, divorce settlement that there was nothing except for $345 to my name. And I'll take the school and keep running with it. And the board let me know, but you can't have this building because we owe way too much money on it. And so you have to find your own building. I didn't have curriculum. I didn't have, you know, desks and chairs and I didn't have any of that. I had maybe some curriculum from homeschooling, but not enough to open a school. I didn't have teachers. And that was, I think, mid-July. Well, and this school was not paying for itself. These people were putting money into the school every month. They were the each flow, putting right? in $1,000 a month. Okay, it so was tuition-driven, but it wasn't sustaining itself, no. Right. So, so um, it's not like 345 is going to grow when you take this no. over. By all accounts, no. it's going to evaporate in about two days. Right. And a little more to that story, I don't think I've told you, but the um, those eight couples, all of them wanted me to incur incur the debt, like take over the. They just wanted me to take over the school, the name, and incur the debt that they had, which I think was about fifty thousand dollars at the time. Um, 
And I didn't feel good about doing that. And so, and they were all kind of pressuring me on that. But the one, the the one owner, he's like, no, look, if she's going to make it and don't we all want her to make it, then we can't start her out $50,000 in debt. He's like, I'll take that on personally, which he did. Wow. Um, he had some other, <laughs> he had some other businesses failing and he's like, I'm already millions of dollars in debt, $50,000 more. <laughs> so he took it on and, um, and yeah, we, it was mid July and we got to work and there was another, a friend of mine who came on board, Kathleen to teach. And she and I just kind of started doing the hard work of trying to find a place, trying to network with people. I had a friend another friend who had worked at that school that she had run uh, another school in Vegas for 12 years. She had purchased a lot of the desks and chairs and curriculum, et cetera. And the school owed her money for it. And she's mm-hmm. like, what everything I bought that they still owe me for you can have, and you pay me back. Cause I'm not going to see the money from them. No. So that's what we did. So I, then I, you know, had some of those items that we needed and we did the school in her house, in her basement. Um, and that was, that was going to be temporary, but I, not as temporary as it ended up being (laughs) because she was going to talk to all of her neighbors to make sure they were okay with that. And that was one thing that she didn't do and they weren't okay with that. So, um, come November, we were going to get a cease and desist order because the parent, the, the, the neighbors weren't happy. So then the first year in November, we had to look for another location, Again, it's the crash. Just before the crash, thing you know, nobody has money. They, some of the parents, most of them had stuck with us, but a lot of them had had to pull as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we started. I think we started with about forty-five kids, and ten or twelve of them were high schoolers that ended up. I, they ended up going to another private school that I referred them to, and we started back from our Thanksgiving break in a dance studio where we had to set up the classrooms and take them down every day, which at the time I knew was a little sketchy and looked weird. And I don't know how anybody stayed with us through that. I don't know. We even had people enroll during that time. I don't know why or how they did because to be honest, it it's very unconventional, but I can tell you there were still really great things that happened in that dance studio with makeshift walls of PVC pipe and material fabric that just separated the classrooms. And yes, there was some noise issues and, but somehow kids still learned and progressed and had great experiences. And um, we finished out the year that year and then were able to uh, get a suite another one of the other, you know, office suites in that it was a strip shopping center oh sounds very familiar we got some bad news in november this year and <laughs> we're uh temporarily in a um, methodist church until our beautiful 20 acre new locations mm-hmm. finished but we've seen the same thing it doesn't look like it did before and it doesn't look like it's going to now but the spirit's still there mm-hmm. there's still great things happening um you know, there's some things that are harder, but there's a lot of things that are a lot better too. So it's interesting how we, the heart, well, I guess it's like anything, right? The Lord looks on the heart. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. And that's true in our missions. That's mm-hmm. true in people. That's true in schools. That's true 
Well, we've been conditioned to think that a school should look a certain way and classes should be a certain way. And then there's a bell that rings and you go to your next class or what, you know, whatever. We've been conditioned to think school is a certain way in a certain place and, and pretty much done the same. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think we all know that education in America is not working or at least not as well as it could. And I believe education in America, I mean, I don't know that I, I call them more indoctrination camps, but rather than schools, <laughs> but that's just me. And I have a little more opinion on that than maybe some people do, but government indoctrination camps, I mean, mm-hmm. but why can't we step outside that box and think about it a little bit differently? Things can happen, education and learning and touching a child's heart and inspiring them to want to know more or to learn different things or to, you know, understand photosynthesis or whatever it is can happen anywhere Mm -hmm. that you have a teacher who loves those kids and wants to teach them and they want to learn. And, and, um, and, you know, when you're teaching in an environment where the spirit can be there and you're teaching true principles, the kids are right there with you. That's half the battle. And when you can't do that, that's where they check out. They know you're not telling them the whole story. They know there's something missing. Well, I think most people would agree that, I mean, you, all you have to do is look at how our education in this country has declined relative to mm-hmm. other countries. And I think it's obvious that there's something wrong with it. And I would hope we're all with it enough to recognize that changing the paint color or the classroom configuration Mm. or what the walls are made out of is not what's going to change it. You know, changing what the walls are made out of is not going to fix. Right. And it's not causing the problem either. So um, anyway, sorry, that was just kind of a fun Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. The month and very similar Mm -hmm. situation that we're dealing with right now, but did that, those hardships, did that, bump in the road, stop you from being able to do what you needed to do? And for It didn't, but it looked, um, it looked different and it looked like, you know, I mean, you know, when you get that cease and desist in November, the first year, you're like, okay, this, is this going to work? Like, what am I doing? And <laughs> it looked like it was going to be bad, but it wasn't the last time that things are going to look bad. You know, then fast forward three, four years, and it was post-crash, and we have... Um, you went down from 45 down to how many students? Eight pain. Eight pain. Yeah, we were full of the waiting list in June of that year, but then people were... And people were living in their parents' basements so that they could still have their kids coming to the school. And But people were, you know, it was it was a couple of years post-crash. Savings were depleted. They'd done everything they could. They they loved the school, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to feed your family mm-hmm. instead of paying for tuition at a private school. But, um, but, yeah, we started that year with eight paying students. And I really strongly considered closing because I looking at the enrollment and, you know, it's just all summer people are like, we've got to move. We're moving for this job. We're moving, you know, so um, to go from, and, and we had grown. I mean, I think we were more like 50, 55, 60. I can't remember students at the time. And then we end up, you know, we had more than eight students, but the rest of them were teachers, kids, you know, that, that weren't being paid to, or that weren't paying the tuition 
we were trading. But so that year, I remember just before school started thinking, we've got enough money to get through end of October, and then I'm going to have to close, you know, unless we get a lot more kids. And, um, and then it became a matter of, you know, I'm not being honest with these people. You know, I'm telling them we're going to have this great program and I know we're getting to the end of October and then we're going to close. I felt like it was an integrity issue and I was worried about that and made it a matter of prayer as I have tried to do with all of this, with the school. And the Lord will tell me often to just take that leap of faith. I mean, and I, I would make a joke, well, I'm leaping again. Like I keep, I would think of, you know, Indiana Jones when he's, which one was? Where he like, three, where yeah. he like has to jump out. You can't yeah. see what that there's something there to catch him. I feel like that was my life for many years, still actually now, but um, especially those first few years. But I made it a matter of prayer. I was told to keep it open, and it just didn't make sense. It seemed like I wasn't being honest. It seemed like it was an integrity issue. It seemed like that can't be the right answer. But I prayed several times. That was the answer. I think. By the way, for anyone that is currently enrolled, that's not where we're at right now here. <laughs> um, and I don't, we've never been in mm-hmm. that kind of a mm-hmm. situation, fortunately, because there's been another school that's been set up and running. But I think sometimes, um, I don't think it's dishonest at all. What it is, is it's trusting that God knows better. So if he says you're supposed to go, then he sees something that we don't. And so it's not dishonesty. It's trusting that he knows more than we do. And that's a scary thing. But guys, I think before Christ comes again, we're going to be faced with more and more tricky, mm-hmm. dangerous, scary situations. And we're not only going to have to trust that God knows best when he's telling us to keep something open, but it's going to be like life or death yep. kinds of scenarios I agree. where we have got, he's going to tell us to do something. It's not going to make any sense. It seems stupid. It seems suicide, whatever the case is. But we're going to have to develop that kind of faith to take those leaps mm-hmm. where it's more than just, oh, maybe bankruptcy. If I mean, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bankruptcy is not a small thing, um, but it's not life or death, but it's not life yeah. or death. Yeah. So but that's real. Like when we get those answers and he tells us that that, no, you're going to be fine. Stay open. That is more real than our limited perception. Of how well, things and. Are. It is. And I've learned that now. It was still early enough. And I'd seen a lot of miracles before that, but it was still early enough that I felt like maybe, because that's the school's my baby, that I was putting my, like my feeling, I was, I wanted to make sure my feelings weren't in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to my bishop and just said, Hey, I can, can you help me pray about this school? And I explained the whole situation to him. He's a business owner. He's an entrepreneur. And he's like, yeah, give me a week and let's talk again. And, um, he came back and he said, I don't know what you're doing at that school, but whatever it is, you are supposed to keep doing it. And if it means I need to help you with some financial stuff or whatever it needs to be, that school needs to stay open. Fast forward from then six years, he was in my office enrolling his son that was struggling. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then his son ended up going to school and he credits the school with like really turning his kid around. And um, so... God knows what's coming, and and the truth is we can do anything with His help, as impossible as it seems. And, you know, there's no way—and we haven't even talked about the chronic health issues that I had. I mean, that year before I opened the school, 
I had serious heart and health issues and have had autoimmune stuff. It, it makes no sense that I've been able to do this. This has only happened because God has literally carried me and carried the school. And because I was desperate enough that I would call on him because I I didn't know exactly how to do a school. I hadn't done that before. It was not something I'd ever thought about doing. Yes, teaching and teaching my kids, but not ever running a school or opening a school or administrating in a school. So, um, but the truth is we can do anything when we partner with him. If it's what he wants and it's what we've been called to do by him, we can do anything. Amen. And that's something that Bonnie and I have talked about many times watching you. There's two of us and we've started this and we were able to copy pretty much everything that you were already doing, the Mm -hmm. program, the curriculum, all of it. We didn't have to kind of create it from scratch, which you did, but there's two of us. There was one of you. I mean, there's, there really is. And we couldn't have done it without God's help. And we've seen that so much, but for one person to Mm -hmm. do all that from scratch, there really is no other explanation. One person with chronic health problems, single mom, yeah, special needs kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it wasn't me. I was willing to put in the work. I was willing to get on my knees, but um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. You know, I can't deny that I have had help. Thank you for coming and doing this. Um, what I was hoping that everyone would get out of this is that, um, yes, evil is out there and it's fighting hard to destroy my family. It's fighting hard to destroy your family. And there's only one way that we get through that. And that's with finding out exactly what God wants us to do and then putting everything we've got on the table. That's what, you know, for those who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who go through the temple, being willing to consecrate our time, talents, everything that we've been given to serve God. That's, that's a real prompt. That's a real commitment that we've made. And that doesn't leave room for, well, I would do that if I had more than $345 (laughs) in my checking account, or I could do that if I wasn't a single mom with special needs children at home, or I could do that if I had a nice building to start off in, or I could do that if it wasn't in the middle of a recession, or I could do that if I had more than eight paying students, or Mm -hmm. I could do that if I saw a way that I'd have money by the end of October. I mean, there's, we, and I am horribly guilty of this, but we are so good at making excuses and putting limits on what God Mm -hmm. can do. Amen to that. And so I hope, um, I don't know if there's one person out there who at least, and I'm not perfect at this by a long shot. I'm still working very hard on that consecration myself. And I have good days and bad days and I have good seasons and bad seasons, but um, there is not time for us to be distracted Mm -hmm. by the little distraction boxes in our pockets that we carry around with us. There's not time for us to, to wait until things make more sense. Um, The time is now. So we all need to be on our knees, figuring out what God wants us to do and then taking those leaps. And the, the scary thing is once you've done one leap, 
you'll have another one that's a little <laughs> bigger for you. It doesn't. That's stop. true. And so I think that's, I, I don't know, for me anyways, I feel like that's been the level of progression. It's going to be these leaps until that are bigger and then bigger and then bigger until I am ready to jump, even if it is a life or death thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not there now. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to see how maybe I could get there. You know? it do- and in some ways it does get easier because you've seen enough miracles or enough divine intervention that you you know once you get that, yep, this is what you need to do, that something will come. Something's going to be there. You don't know what and you can't see it. But that part does sometimes get easier. But I And I do want to say one more thing. I've sometimes told people these stories and they'll say, you know, that's that's so cool that you know that you had that experience, but God doesn't talk to me like that. Like I don't get answers like that. That's you know, that's you. And it's not just me. It's anybody. God loves all of his children. He he wants to talk to all of his children, but we do have to pay the price. Like when I've gotten answers to prayers, it has not been a a quick little thing. It's been something that I've been thinking and pondering and praying. And like you talked about eliminating those distractions, which that is hard. And it's actually, it should be getting easier as I get older. It's been getting harder for me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways as I've gotten older to have that time where I can, you know, we have to create sacred time and space to know what it is that God wants us to do. And we have to be, you know, in the scriptures and listening to him through the scriptures and through, you know, other, you know, prophets or, you know, people that you think are inspired men and women, but we just, we, we need to give him, yeah, a lot the you know, the time that is necessary so that we can commune and be in tune. And it's hard. You got to turn off that, that Netflix and you got to get off your phones and you've got to, you've got to give him that time. And, and, you know, God will talk to anybody. I'm not special. Hey, excellent. That was a great way to wrap this up. So thank you again all for joining me. Thank you again for being here. Letting You're me welcome. You into <laughs> doing this. The things we do because we love our children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You open schools and you do podcasts. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, 
and be strong.